Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I I am I am swinging from a seven story window throwing parties in a 10 by 7 cell it's a stunning the legs I'll go to convince the whole damn world I don't need anybody's help yeah I am waving while I drive don't bother swimming out to save me I will only drag you down I'll try to your body is a life raft Cause if there's room enough for one There must be room enough for two I'll sail the good ship you into the sunset Sipping on savory water Till my liver turns blue Put down your pens, put down your pencils, step away from the keyboards and settle in for this week's episode of The Writer's Block. First and foremost, let me thank Low Tide Kava Bar for the kava that I drink on this and every episode of The Writer's Block. I would also like to thank Muddied Waters Media for allowing me to do this show and Don and Sally Wright for giving birth to me. Bula to all of the above. Uh, This week, I would like to welcome on a very good friend of mine. Uh, Mr. Kevin Klein from Ohio. Kevin, how are you, buddy? I'm great, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. It's great to have you on. Uh, you and I, we we had been Facebook friends for God knows how long, um, and then we finally got a chance to meet uh, in D.C. recently at Yalcon, um, much like many of the guests I'm having on right now. Yeah. But, uh, I, I had been looking forward to meeting you since, like, the second week we were friends on Facebook because your posts were really engaging and I was just really interested in reading what you were saying. I was like, I cannot wait to finally meet this person. Yeah, it was, uh, we really did hit off at Yalcon. It was awesome. Uh, that, that's what those events are for is some good networking. And I mean, uh, like, like you said earlier when you were chit-chatting before the show is uh, Judge Napolitano is a great speaker and, and gives some really inspiring uh 
gut-wrenching uh, speeches on big government, or as he calls it, big government, and uh, we, we skipped that to sit there and talk to each other for like an hour on a wide range of topics and, and realize that we had some stuff to talk about on the show, so it was great to be able to come on. Yeah, and we covered... I think we covered every major issue going on. <laughs> that's that that's my MO. It's like I can give uh, a short speech on just about every single thing. Yeah, that was we, we, we talked about trade war with China. We talked about immigration. We talked about uh, just foreign wars in general. I mean, we talked about everything. I was yeah. just like, all right, I got to get yeah. this guy on. I can't wait. Yeah, that's uh, that was a that was a great conversation. You're probably one of the most uh, engaging, interesting conversation I had at the whole time I was at Yalcon. And boy, there's a lot of them. You put put a couple hundred libertarians in a convention center together, you get some interesting, interesting novels and speeches and conversations out of people. That's for sure. Oh man, yeah, I was a uh, I had Matt De- uh, Matt Delisio on a couple of weeks ago, and the only mm-hmm. thing we talked about at Yalcon was music. That was it. Well, when I had him on here, uh, I just had him talking about music the entire time. I think we talked about uh, when at the door for like five minutes, dead in the middle. And the rest of the time we were talking about the doors and Led Zeppelin and the Beatles. And- <laughs> oh, man, I'm sorry I missed that. I, actually, I'll have to watch that episode because that's uh, my go-to genre is uh, 60s and 70s anti-war revolution music. So. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. You will probably enjoy that episode. We just talked about yeah. yeah. We were talking about all the... We were just like, liberty and music bring people together as friends. Um, You have been doing some really incredible stuff. Uh, One, you're starting your second term as Senate of Kent State, in the Senate of Kent State. I want to make sure I'm saying that correctly. Yeah, uh, so I'm the uh, senator for my academic college at uh, Kent State University is my, my university, and I'm on the undergraduate Student government, which is obviously the student and the student council, the student government body of uh, of Kent. Okay, and uh, I while we were talking in our very long conversation, we were talking about uh, a lot of the things that you have been doing activism wise on Kent State, and some of the stuff that you were talking about just blew my mind. Um, so I w- I kind of want you to kind of go into a lot of this stuff, but I know yeah. that. For instance, the uh, right to carry on campus, you were a part of that whole uh, activism, I guess is the best way to put it, protest maybe, um, that kind of went viral uh, earlier this year. Yeah. So people people know Kent State pretty well now. Uh, like, as you said, I mean, just us meeting was the fact that we've been making pretty good splash the past couple of years in, in being a libertarian activist and, and publishing my thoughts and the, uh, in, uh, in victories on, on social media. And I do that to encourage other people not to pat myself on the back. And there's uh, a lot of really good lessons. Actually, I was talking with my, my, uh, my uh, protege who's going to be taking over my YAL chapter when I leave this year when I graduate. We were talking about writing like a manual or a short book on, on how successful we've been on campus and why it worked and what we did just to kind of hand that off to, to other people that are coming on to a predominantly left campus. I mean, Kent State's known for its left-wing activism. It's, it's a very activist-strong campus. And we turned the thing around. I mean, we just did we just did our student activities fair for this year, and this is my third year running a chapter on campus. When we started two years ago, there was college Republicans, and then the brand-new YAL chapter we started. This year, we went out, and I'm tabling, and I'm looking around, and there's Students for Life's behind me. Uh, students for Concealed Carry's got a table. Um, 
uh, Turning Point USA was there with tabling, uh, Liberty Hangout, which is a, a libertarian um, media outlet online. They have a club on campus that's run by Caitlin Bennett, of the, the famed fame Penn State gun girl. We've gone viral and media multiple times in the past two years. I mean, we, we are known as a right-wing activism powerhouse at Kent now, and that was just all started three years ago. And uh, it was a small group. I mean, we were never... 30, 40, 50 people strong, really, at any at any time. I mean, it was just a real dedicated core group of activists, 10 to 15 people, that really came out and just turned and burned and, and made the difference. And I mean, we, we infiltrated so hard. I think I've gotten, what, five or six of us elected on the student government now. I mean, we have a Freedom Caucus. We change policy on campus. And uh, I like to joke, if you go on Google News and type in Kent State University, there's more headlines of stuff we've done in the past two years than anything the university is officially putting out. So. Yeah, we definitely dominate the uh, conversation on campus now and uh, really put, put the, the huge leftist groups to shame. I mean, we hit way above our weight class uh, in activism. Was, uh, was it Turning Point USA who did the, the, uh, the protest at Kent State where they were doing the safe zone? Yeah, yeah, so I'll kind of give you a little, actually this all kind of segues into uh, how I'm involved with, with Caitlin Bennett, obviously famed Kent State activist, so... Uh, when we started three years ago, Caitlin came into uh, Young Americans for Liberty as a member, was super passionate, uh, very dedicated activist. She's like a zoology major. She was not into politics, but she was, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Trump conservative. I'm frustrated with uh, leftist uh, nonsense on campus. I'm tired of sitting through liberal, liberal lectures, so I'm going to join your group. Uh, typical story. So she comes in. We do our activism. She's getting trained. She's getting kind of radicalized with libertarianism. And uh, she goes, okay, well, YL's been great, but there's no leadership position here for me right now. So I'm going to start a turning point chapter. And I said, great. I've trained you as an activist. I know, I know you were really close. We're good friends. Let's do a coalition. You start your turning point chapter. Do your guys' messaging. We'll focus on educational for libertarianism. Keep doing what we're doing. And we'll have a conservative coalition on campus, which is what we've been working toward ever since. And now we're seeing the culmination of that, like I was talking about at the Student Org Fair. And, I mean, the amount of signups we got this year uh, across the board with all the organizations opposed to a couple years ago is incredible. I mean, I, I really think what we're doing is actually pulling conservative students into the campus because they realize that it's actually a space they can be comfortable in. They don't have to be scared to be there. But that's a little off track. Um, so... Caitlin takes a returning point, and man, I mean, if you follow her on social media, you know she's a firecracker. She doesn't hold any 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 punches back. She will say her mind, and she's she's really passionate about her ideas. So, working for a national organization that's trying to stay on message can be kind of difficult for her, which is why she does Liberty Hangout now. She can be nice and independent and run her own thing, which is the way she needs to be. Never put a leash on that one. It's it's impossible. I saw she uh, recently came out with a video. Um, actually, the day the day that we're actually recording the show, uh, I think it came out this morning, where she oh, was okay. going around and she was asking people what they thought of the Kent State girl. Yeah, <laughs> that was at that student organization fair, okay. so that's, uh, I'll have to watch that, but that's, uh, yeah, that was them tabling for Liberty Hangout on campus at Kent State. Okay. Yeah, I, I watched that video today, and I, I, I've read her stuff online, and obviously I saw the photos. Because uh, I think everybody saw. Yeah, that. I think I think the entire country saw those. That's all I hear about when I bring up Kent these days. Right, exactly. And, I mean, Jim Jim Carrey yeah. painted a picture, and I was like, I I can't believe 
that this has gone this far. But um, yeah, I was watching that video today. I had never heard her speak, and her voice was not what I was expecting. Really? It was not. No, I was. I guess I know her before the fame, so I don't think about her that way. But uh, I know her from Twitter yeah. and Facebook and all of that. So I'd never actually heard her speak. And then when I heard her voice, I was like, "Oh, that is not the intimidating voice I was expecting." No, I mean you meet her. She's like, I mean, I'm a short guy, but she's a couple inches shorter than me, like five four maybe. And uh, she's just the sweetest blonde, curly headed blonde girl you ever met. And but I mean. Uh, underneath the, the blue eyes and the, the crazy curly blonde hair is she's just fire. I mean, she as far as like talking about punching above your weight class, I mean that girl comes out swinging. She doesn't she doesn't care who you are. She will go go for the throat every time. She's uh she's a really passionate activist, and I even told her this a couple weeks ago. We were chit chatting and. I was talking about how proud I was of everything she'd done and how successful she's been. And I said, I think one of my greatest achievements from being an, an activist in the league at Kent State is I get to say that I unleashed this terror of conservatism and libertarianism on the world because she way outshines me in impact and reach. Um, and it's, it's just beautiful to see uh, a, a, a plant that you stuck in the ground really blossom into something beautiful. Right. And... So that's, that's the best achievement is leaving. I know when I leave Kent State this year, I'm going to leave behind a great legacy of uh, just really powerhouse activism, powerhouse activists and leaders that's really going to continue fighting the good fight when I'm gone. And so, so the way I have it understood, uh, the way that I understand it, I guess would be a better way to say that, uh, the way that I understand it is that Kent State has a rule that you cannot carry if you are a student. Yeah, that's a that's across the board in Ohio. That's uh, yeah, every public campus is is a gun free zone. So you know, quote unquote. But basically, it's just by campus policy because just like free speech, um, they can't restrict free speech on public grounds. You can't restrict the right to carry a firearm on public grounds. Um, by state law, your concealed carry permit, my concealed carry permit, even as a non-student at other campuses, is not uh, does not extend on the campus, any campus. Uh, that's uh, including. So that's including, like, public high schools and elementary schools, too. Right. Um, so, so you can but, walk on to, I am blanking on every other college in the University of Ohio. You can walk on to there with uh, your concealed carry because you're a student at a different school? Um, well, no, still no concealed carry because the concealed carry law does, does not etch out, uh, or it etches out an exception for schools that you're not allowed to conceal carry at schools. But if, if I wanted to throw on my Air 15 on my back, I could walk on the uh, campus theoretically at Ohio State and, uh, and and have an open carry firearm because our Second Amendment right is uh, allowed on public grounds in Ohio. Gotcha. So it's actually our First Amendment here, uh, I, I, the Ohio Constitution. I thought you said because you were a student at a, at a school, you couldn't do it at any of the schools. Yeah. Well, students, students are only restricted by the policies of their own school. It's a, it's a voluntary governance, basically. So, um, like, policies at Kent State don't affect Ohio State students and vice versa. I could theoretically be punished by Kent State if I went and did an open carry march at Ohio State, but they would have no reason to do that. I mean, we've done open carry marches at other universities, and Kent would not risk the lawsuit to get into the weeds on that, because really what would happen is that we'd end up suing and getting more back. We'd end up getting, like, full carry rights for students or something, so they're not going to... Like, I'm not going to beat up on Kent. They've been amazing to us. Uh, they've not tried to restrict us or clubs or free speech or anything. Um, it's just a disagreement in policy point. Of course, I want guns on campus, and they're never going to allow that. It's going to be a battle of wills until the end of the time, but uh, maybe one day some court case will come down and say, yes, yeah, students have full 
uh, constitutional rights and campuses can't restrict it, but we're not there yet, unfortunately. And I've, a lot of the backlash that I found from the open carry rally that you guys have pulled on Kent State, uh, a lot of the, the, of the negative feedback people are saying are, do these people know the history of Kent State? And yeah. I'm like, do you know the history of Kent State? Because that was the government. Yeah, they, they like to forget that part. They just think, they, these people, they're, they're really irrational. They, they see gun, they think scary. They don't think about, like, what our obvious talking points are is good guy with a gun versus bad guy with a gun, and you have a personal right to self-defense, and the police aren't always going to be there. I mean, it's, there's a whole bunch of reasons why, obviously, utilizing a gun for your own self-defense is a good thing. Um, but for them, they just think, wow, there's kids shot here, there was students shot here, guns are bad, they shoot people. They, they think of them as almost inanimate, like, evil objects where they're, they're not, they're just tools, and people are evil. But, you know, they, there's a disconnect with that, and uh, a lot of times they, they're very unfamiliar with firearms, they're unfamiliar with the laws. A lot of the times we'll, we'll come and do the, we've done, like, three open, this will be our, next Wednesday will be our third open carry march on Kent campus since I've been there. And people think, that the, the state, the school, or the state should come in and restrict uh, our ability to do that. They say, hey, why don't they ban this on campus? And people have no idea that they really cannot. Like, it's, right. it's impossible. So Right. To, to try to ban it on campus would be to take away yeah. people's Second Amendment rights that the state right. has. So it wouldn't make sense. Yeah, and I mean, it's not even students. It's not like uh, they can say, if you come out and do this open carry march as a student, we're going to expel you from campus, which they do tell us that. They tell the students, if you come and do this open carry march with a firearm, you will be uh, punished under the policy and, and expelled from campus or something similar to that. Um, but as far as regular citizens, you know, just random Joe Schmo is protected by the Second Amendment. He can come stroll through campus with an AR on his back any day. Granted, if you stroll around on campus with an AR, you're probably going to get, a, well, maybe not arrested, but at least challenged, because right. obviously that's a little weird. But, might, um, might be detained in some way. Yeah, I mean, even, even me as a student, if I see somebody strolling around with an AR-15, I'm probably going to make a call, like, hey, this guy, like, right. you might want to see what his intentions are. Is he here for good stuff or bad stuff? Um, but I would feel a lot better personally if I could carry my own firearm, because at least I know if he went wild, I could shoot back, but uh, the, the logic is lost, I right. guess. And I mean, when, I, when, I was, when I was going to school, uh, the, the, the college activism was not uh, in conservative. It, there was no conservative college activism. No, this is new. I mean, this is just since like 2008 or nine. this has started happening. I remember walking, I, went, I, went, I did my freshman year at George Mason University. And when I was walking through campus, I remember getting stopped by a guy who was tabling for Lyndon LaRouche. <laughs> I got nothing on. That kind of give, that'll give you an idea on when I w was a freshman. Um, but he was tabling. Hey, was that pre or post Ralph Nader? Because that's the last goofy leftist candidate I remember. So Lyndon, uh, he was kind of along the same timeline as Ralph Nader, just he wasn't really well known because he was far left of Bernie. He was so far left of Bernie, and everything was, we need to be communist, and everybody just, you know, to, God, what's the quote? To each his ability, to each his need, or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. To, uh, to each his need is, uh, oh, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about, I can't remember the quote. I don't, yeah. I don't remember the exact quote off the top of my head, but I, like, and I was this 18-year-old, like, completely timid like I had no idea what to say to people and I didn't understand it when people talked at me really quickly 
Yeah. Which I find that hilarious now with the way that I talk. But, <laughs> I'm like a million miles a minute. I'm like, uh, well, I have a hard time talking to Southerners because they're all really slow draw. And I'm like, you Northerners, you sound like you're trying to sell me a bag of crap or something. And I'm like, uh, yeah, training myself to slow down has been a challenge. <laughs> but this guy stops me. He's like, don't you think that everybody should get what they need? And I was like, I mean, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Man, I got to get to class. I don't, I don't know. Right. And so he gave me this paper, and I was reading it, and it was talking about how we were almost at World War Three with the Russians. And I went home, like, I went to go my, to my parents' house that weekend, and I had that with me, and I was reading it, and my dad said, where did you get that? And I said, oh, some guy gave it to me on campus. And he was, Lyndon LaRouche is a commie. And I was like, yeah, I was kind of picking up on that after I was <laughs> able to read this. And yeah, know, do they have a lot of those people at school? I'm like, they're the oh, ones yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, uh, it, as far as activists go, I mean, I don't know about the general student population. I believe, I, I still believe strongly that most college students aren't liberal. They're just apathetic and ignorant. Um, but I'd say activist-wise, we're probably 100 to 100 to 1, maybe 100 to 10, somewhere in that range. Like, I'd say of all the activists on campus, 10% of them are right-wing. Right. Um, that pro that's actually probably a pretty good, yeah. a pretty good guess. Um, yeah, I know I know Kent's like that for sure. Other campuses, I would say, probably the same or worse, depending if they've been activated uh, yet or not. Um, one of the things that you said that you were going to be working on, which I'm a huge fan of, by the way, uh, obviously, because I vape constantly for anybody who watches my shows, um, is you I, you can't use tobacco or nicotine-related products as a student on campus? Yeah, that's uh, that's one of our big issues. So free speech has always been number one, but again, Kent's been great about it, so it's never really been an issue. Um, Campus Carry is the one we're really passionate about at Kent, and it's the one we're most famous for because of Caitlin's uh, shenanigans with the open carry walks. And um, the one that I really tried to champion... shenanigans. <laughs> You darn kids in your shenanigans. Uh, uh, the one I was really passionate about that got me kind of my first year uh, was they, it's a statewide initiative. All the state schools have at this point, but it was still go ongoing when I got in, uh, when I started school four years ago, was uh, banning tobacco products on campus. And it wasn't, it wasn't just banning smoking in public areas or setting up designated smoking areas. It was banning all tobacco on campus. So if you're walking around with a vape, which doesn't harm anybody but yourself because it's water vapor, yeah. um, if you're walking around with a, a, a dip in and you're spitting into a cup, and that again doesn't affect anybody, you're not even spitting it on the ground. It's, it, I mean, there's really no logic to it at all except micromanagement of your life, and, and really that's what it comes down to. And, and I mean, I fight a lot of people on campus about this. Is I go, you don't believe you don't, you have bodily autonomy that you can't decide what you put in into your body. I'm like. I know they're pro drugs. They're all they're all pro marijuana legalization. They're all pro choice. So they my body, my choice, right? So the logic's just like hitting the brick wall when I'm saying, yeah, if you want to cheat down ten packs of cigarettes a day, that really is your choice. But now they, you know, obviously, big government knows best. So the College of Public Health at Kent State has uh, started the, the Kent State of Wellness Initiative, which uh, part of that was banning tobacco outright on campus and. Uh, they really, I mean, they worked really hard on that. They spent a couple of years putting that plan together. And, of course, like all great initiatives, it's got a fat grant check attached to it. So uh, trying to tackle that is I might as well just punch a brick wall all day. Right. 
So I still complain about it plenty, and I and I uh, try to organize counter protests because they don't enforce it. It's it's more about the money than it is, and it's just a pat on the back to feel good about doing. They put the policy in place, but they don't enforce it. And they're supposed supposedly they're like, oh, if you smoke on campus and you get caught, no enforcement, caught, quote unquote, police don't enforce it, security doesn't enforce it, administrators don't enforce it. Then there would be there would be uh, blank on blank un, unspecified punishment. But you can't be academically punished for it. It's not going to ever happen. So people walk around chiefing on cigarettes all day, and everybody just kind of scowls at them, and they go about their business. So I think to, to be on their side, I said, why not set up designated smoking areas so we get best, best of both worlds? We don't have people littering their cigarette butts everywhere because they took the butt cans away, so now litter's a problem. Oh, and people are violating the policy and killing themselves anyway, which you were trying to avoid in the first place. And if we were to set up the designated smoking areas, we could actually help the asthmatic people that need to get away from the smoke. It just, it, that's such a frustrating issue because they, they got it wrong. They won't admit they got it wrong and they're stick, they're sticking by it. <laughs> so are you, cause when we talked in DC, you said that you were going to kind of do a, after you graduate, uh, you're going to have people come on and do like a vape out. Or something people who want well that's that's been something I've been trying to organize in general we did the first year so the, the they snuck the policy in over the summer when nobody was on campus but we protested it we knew it was coming so in, familiar yeah right weird the 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 eleventh hour legislation that, that passes in the dead of the night right. um, so so about uh, May it was right before uh, finals week we went out and did a bunch of petitioning I gathered a couple hundred signatures uh, to to protest it. Um, in vain, of course, nobody cares about those petition signatures. Again, money. And uh, we, we went out and we took lots of pictures and got media attention and ended up on the Kent Stater, like, hey, people are upset about this policy. I mean, I, I reached out to groups uh, all across the campus. There were, I mean, there was like socialist groups and students for sensible drug policy, everybody in the brother art groups. I mean, there's, I reached out to the art college. I know they all smoke because they are, you know, artistes. Yeah, and uh, fedora wearing. Yeah, fedora wearing artists, and I, I reach out to my cigarettes. Yeah, I reach out the international club because the Chinese kids just love their cigarettes too. They really smoke them up around campus, and they really don't care about the policy. And uh, the, I reach out to them. I said, "Let's do a smoke in." I mean, we're coming back here in September. We need to protest this. Let's do a smoke in, and, and it just never materialized. But that's something that I always wanted to do. I think that'd be a great way to push back. But I think the reason that there's no there's no activism, because like I said, it's a really good bipartisan issue. It was very across the board. Everybody was very angry about it that wasn't pro-public health. And uh, there was no enforcement. If I think if security was going around and pulling cigarettes out of people's faces and, throw, you know, and, and, and actually handing down punishments, it'd be easier to, to organize some type of fight against it. But people don't feel the ban. They don't understand that it's still going on. And I think the biggest travesty of it is not the ban itself. Like that's that's bad, but it's not enforced, so it doesn't matter. It's the it's the lack of the butt cans, so it's causing a litter issue. So you see like dead squirrels and around campus that are full of cigarette butts now. That that was never a thing two or three years ago. And you see corners of the buildings like little enclaves where the staircases are full of cigarette butts because people are hiding and they're throwing their butts down because there's no cans. That's that's worse. That's worse than everything, you know. The at, at the that point, you're 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 messing up the the beauty of the campus. You're messing up. Uh, like, you're creating. Somebody's got to go clean that up now. 
Um, yeah, it's a, a well-intentioned policy with very awful uh, unintended consequences, and I just wish more people would see it that way. I'm not out to, to give everybody cancer. I don't want you to smoke. I'm just saying you have a right to. And more importantly, this policy's crap, and it's hurting all these other things. Like, right. ah, It's just such a frustrating issue. Yeah, when, uh, you, when you told me that you were kind of thinking about uh, you were planning planning this thing, I like in my head, I was like, if he does that, I'm going to Kent State because I will vape all day long at Kent State. I don't care. I that would be worth the money for me to drive up there or fly up there just to do that because that would be hilarious to me. Um, yeah, I think I think I'd be. I really. I feel like there was more energy about it uh, when I first tried to organize it. Uh, I guess it would have been fall of 2017, maybe. Um, and it just kind of died out. I mean, admittedly, I was a lesser organizer back then, so I probably uh, maybe would be able to pull it off a little bit better now had I uh, had the energy behind it. But the uh, I, I remember being very frustrated. I couldn't get people on board, and I couldn't understand why. And I realized that they just didn't care because there was no reason to care. So, right. I uh, I was in San Francisco earlier this year, which that was that was culture shock for me. Um, just slip on any crap? Sidewalks? <laughs> no, I, I didn't have that issue. I did see a homeless person that was pleasuring themselves right there. And I was just yeah, that'll happen. <laughs> All right, well, you do you, buddy, I guess. Okay. I guess. And everybody was just kind of walking around them. They're, that person had the most amount of room around him of anybody, though. So, I mean, I think... Maybe he's maybe he was just a commuter and he wasn't a homeless person. <laughs> and he's really got it down. Like, yeah, he figured out how to get around. He was like, man, I just I just don't want people touching me. So, I'm just going to sit here and pleasure myself in public. And I'm going to walk to work every day, just rub one out, and, and people give me a wide berth. <laughs> uh, I, I, a lot of places in San Francisco, oddly enough, don't want you to vape there. Weird. Um... Uh, and so I would, anytime that I saw a place that said no smoking, electronic cigarettes included, I would like stand right in front of it and, <laughs> and be like, are you going to have me arrested? Are you going to ask me to leave? Are you going to do anything? And the answer is no, they don't. Um, yeah. I also, you can't vape inside anywhere, but they have, and I'm not saying I'm opposed to gender neutral bathrooms, uh, but man, you can vape inside a gender neutral bathroom because ain't nobody walking in on you. <laughs> So anytime I'd go to like a coffee shop and I'd go to the bathroom, I'd be in there just vaping. <laughs> Nobody's coming in. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would much rather. I love vapes. I'm, I think that's a great. Like I'm, I'm not anti-smoking. I'll, I'll go smoke some cigars every once in a while, and I've gone through my uh, dip habit on and off after after and during my time in the service. So I think almost everybody goes through a little bit of a tobacco addiction while they're uh, in uniform. I, I think it's actually in the contract you signed. <laughs> I distinctly remember being issued a dip can <laughs> and a spinner at uh, at uh, Depot when I was in boot camp. You know, um, they gave out. I don't know if they still do or not, but when I was in uh, basic training in the MREs, they gave out waterproof matches. Um. Yeah, those are still in there. Those, yeah, that those are in there for smokers. Oh, yeah, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, that's yeah. why they're in I always really just had a bunch of them because I didn't smoke, so I just have, like, a bunch of extra packs of matches for no reason. Like, you wouldn't but, smoke during basic or anything, but, like, I had this collection of them, and they said, you have to turn those in. So I started mailing them back home. Because uh, I was like, I want these. They're yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're not pretty nice matches. I mean, uh, they're probably pretty expensive. God knows if it's a government contract, they pay, they pay ten times extra for them, so... Those are valuable matches there. Yeah. But uh, I don't remember what we were talking about. Smoke, vaping and smoking, yeah. 
I'm, I'm a huge advocate of, uh, of vaping, and I think I think smoking is a disgusting habit, and I love that free market has given us a solution to help save some lives and, and make people a little bit healthier. Um, my roommate, who is a, a pack-a-day uh, cowboy killer smoker from the Marine Corps, uh, was, started vaping a couple months ago, and it's a lot nicer not having that, that wafting tar stench yeah. rolling through the house all the time, right. so... I mean, vaping is great. I wish I wish there was more voluntary uh, acceptance of it. Is allowing people to vape inside. I mean, they they banned smoking inside in most states years ago. I mean, I think Ohio banned it in the mid two thousands. Um, so I would much rather see people be able to vape inside, and that would it, discourage them from smoking because, especially around here in the winter, you know, being able to vape inside keeps you from having to walk out and have a smoke break outside, and that's a big incentive. That's and a big incentive. I was living. I I wasn't living as far north as you, so I was in Northern Virginia, DC area. And when I quit smoking initially, uh, I did it in the winter because I was like, I'm not stepping outside. Mm-hmm. And it was just like after a while, I was like, okay, well, I don't need a cigarette anymore. And then I mean, I picked up smoking again later because it got warm. And <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, I, it's a social thing. I think that's why the service guys do it. It's yeah. a social thing. Yeah, yeah. But, and it's also you. The way I explained it to somebody once was. They were like, why'd you start smoking? And I said, oh, because I was allowed a 10-minute break every hour if I smoked. If I didn't, I didn't get that break. So yeah, no break. Yeah. I would just start smoking. Yeah. I would honestly, I would, to get the same thing on the ship to get the break, I would, uh, I would walk outside, bum a cigarette, and have it in my hand and not light it. And I would just, I would just have it in my hand the whole time and be sitting there taking my 10-minute break talking, have the cigarette in my hand and go, oh, I never lit it, ha ha, stuff it back in my pocket and walk back in the ship. So, <laughs> I mean, whatever, whatever it takes to get out of the engine room or whatever pit I was stuck in at the time. Right, no, I, t- I totally understand that. <laughs> so you spent, you were in the Coast Guard. Yeah, right? yeah, I did uh, four years of active and I'm on my third year in the reserves. Okay, and what, do you have, what, two years left on your three years? Um, I have, like, a year left on my contract. I'm actually, right now, I'm trying to uh, separate and go into the IRR a little bit early. I'm going to focus on school and finding some employment here after I graduate. Probably going to move. I'm, my station, I'm stationed in Cleveland, so if I, if I move, I might not be near a place I can drill at, and I don't really want to transfer, so... Uh, I mean, it's been a great time. The Coast Guard's given me a lot of opportunity. Paid for my school with the GI Bill, so right. I really have no complaints, minus some of the drug war stuff and uh, some violations and some Fourth Amendments. I mean, I have my moral uh, complaints being a libertarian. Actually, I wasn't one until I was in the Coast Guard, and I did some stuff I wasn't too proud of anymore, and I was like, wait a second, this isn't right. So uh, I like to tell people I came by my libertarianism, honestly. I'd never picked up a book. I never read any Hayek or uh, Bastiat or anything. I just figured it out being in the service and just realizing what I was doing probably wasn't quite right. Yeah, that, that's funny that you said the drug war thing because that's what I was getting ready to segue into. Yeah. That always comes up. I, I think uh, I think I'm the only only person that works for YAL right now that uh, has fought on both sides of the drug war. <laughs> you're, you're stopping drugs from coming in and getting people arrested, and then you're fighting for all drugs to be free. Right, exactly. So I've been on both sides of that issue, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a unique position being being a counter-narcotics uh, service of, of the federal government <laughs> fighting to legalize all drugs. Yeah. I, when you told me that that when you told me that when we were talking, I was like, "That is the funniest. That is so yeah. brilliant. That is so good." Yeah, it's a great line. It will kill one day in a stump speech. I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so for students, for students who are like freshmen, you know, freshmen, sophomores, mm-hmm. 
young students who are just kind of coming in, what, how do you recommend that they get the kind of successes that you've got? Because some of the stuff that you've done has been absolutely, it's just been impressive. Um, and I know that you're very, very adamant about your activism uh, so and, and libertarianism. So much to say we should just disband the student government, I believe is... Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm every year I, I go. We should definitely, uh, definitely go ahead and disband this bad boy. And everybody kind of looks at me funny, and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> Did you think I was going to say something different? Yeah, this year? yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm here to wreck the system, not to be a part of it. Uh, yeah, some. I mean, as much as I love parliamentarianism and, and writing legislation and standing up in my suit and, and you know fighting the good fight and waving the papers and all that stuff. At the end of the day, I'm still got my anarchist streak, and if I could tear all tear it all down and burn it, I definitely would. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so if so, for the for the new students coming in, what what sort of what do you recommend that they do in order to get the same sort of results that you've achieved over mm-hmm. the over the course of your schooling? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll say the same thing that I tell uh, when I go and do constituent stump speeches with the freshmen. Um, I always tell them the same thing. I say, get, get involved. I mean, just, it's so easy to get into your own little bubble on campus. You get on campus, you're like, I'm going to go to class, and I'm going to go back to my dorm, and maybe you'll have some friends and social stuff, or maybe you don't, and you just go back, and you do your homework, and you watch Netflix, and you just kind of, that's what you do. You go to school to go to school. Don't do that to yourself. I, I, I think kids rob themselves doing that. I think only... I'd say like 15% of our campus is active in student life, and it makes a world of difference. I mean, we see we see that our students that are involved in campus life get better grades, they're better retention, they are more likely to graduate, they're happier, um, they do more on campus, they they get more job prospects when they get out of school. So, if any incoming freshmen or students are, are watching this, my one piece of advice from this whole discussion is going to be get involved on campus, and if you don't, you're robbing yourself. Uh, to do that, when it is, that's just the general blanket. I don't even care what your politics are. I tell people, like, join the Pokemon Go club if you want to. Just get involved. Um, so do that. We have a huge LARPing club at campus, at Kent, by the way. So if you ever show up at Kent campus and you see people beating the tar out of each other with foam swords, it's perfectly normal. I, I, I'm going to have to stop. Like, for anybody that's, like, in my generation or older that watches me, LARPing means live-action role-play. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just in case you don't know, if you're not involved in that lingo, I learned that not too long ago, actually. Um, so, <laughs> you really have a LARPing club? That's amazing. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, uh, Campus Life at Kent is big. We're, uh, we're one, I think we're the largest on-campus campus uh, in the state, so that means uh, most other schools are very commuter-heavy, where we have like 10,000 students of our 26 or however many it is living on campus, so um, that makes for huge student life, because everybody's bored and living with each other, so they want to get involved. Um, so we have like a 30, 40-person working club with their own armory of shields and swords and axes, and God only knows what. It's fun, though. They get out, they go out on the student green and beat up on each other. A knife around Kent State, but don't carry a gun. <laughs> yeah, foam, foam weapons, fully uh, encouraged and authorized. Uh, I'm a Nerf guy myself. I like to do the Nerf, Nerf War Club. Uh, they play like zombies. Yeah, actually, Youngstown State, about an hour away from us, is uh, one of the biggest campuses in the country for Nerf Wars. They have like a week-long Nerf War where they do like zombies versus survivors, and they wear like headbands to designate, they shoot at each other, it's a great time. Uh, so, yeah, that's just a great example of campus life is amazing, I, I love it. Um, 
And I say that as a crotchety old veteran who showed up on campus and, and literally commuted to and from campus and didn't associate with anybody my freshman year. And I really hate that, that I did that. Is, uh, I just showed up, took my classes, went home, didn't, didn't get involved at all my freshman year, and I was miserable. I hated it. I wanted to go back to the service. I, I wanted to drop out. And I said, right, well, I, I got to stop torturing myself. It's time to get involved. And uh, the 2016 election rolled around. I heard about YAL. Actually, I was going to start a student for Rand Paul chapter, but he dropped before a primary. He dropped in, like, February. Our primary was in March. Um, so that, that spring, I met with some fellow libertarians and conservatives on campus. We decided we were going to start a chapter. Over the summer, we went to YALCON, uh, started our chapter, recruited a bunch of people, and then um, come fall semester when it hit, we hit the ground running. And uh, I guess I can segue into my next piece of advice for the freshmen that want to get involved or somebody on campus who, even if you're a junior or senior, and you want to get involved with uh, spreading the ideas of liberty and doing activism on campuses. Just be bold. Don't get discouraged. Uh, be willing to, to go out and, and make your voice heard and do street theater. It's it's intimidating, man. Like, you go out and you're going to... Somebody hands you a couple and they say, go talk to students. And you're like, like, what do I say? I don't understand. And I get that all the time from people. And they're like, how do I spread the ideas of liberty? I'm not a salesman. Like, I'm a philosopher. I sit around and read books all day. Um, so... Cut your teeth on campus. It's easier there to engage with people than any other place on the planet, or at least the United States, is, is you have students who are willing to learn. They, you have things in common with them. You can at least, in a worst-case scenario, you can talk about how bad classes are or something, and uh, go up and you talk to students and, and you engage with them, and you do street theater and uh, just get easy media attention because student media is bored and lazy and they want to come out and cover whatever you're doing. and. It's, uh, it's, it's really easy, and I mean, the biggest pushback you'll experience, especially on private campuses, is uh, your bureaucrats, the administration can put up barriers. Just don't get dis discouraged. Um, reach out to people and make allies, and really immerse yourself in local politics. All, I know it's easy for us to all get, and I do this too, is we get distracted by the Trump thing, and, and you have Trump on D.C. He's doing all this crazy stuff, and he's all over the news, and you want to focus on what the new piece of legislation or the Rand Paul filibuster the stuff going on at the national level, you can't affect that. Like, your average kid on campus is never going to influence policy in D.C. no matter how how much activism you do or how many people you tell that we have $20 tr trillion in national debt. They're just, they're, they're not going to care, and there's nothing you can do at your campus that's going to change that. But you can run for student government, and you can petition and change policy on campus. You can make freedom, you can make your campus a little bit more free. And, I mean, all, can't, all politics is local, and if you start low, it, it snowballs, it works its way up, and you end up being in a position where I am now, four years later, where what you do on your campus influences people on other campuses to be more active, and they see the stuff that I'm doing, running for student government, getting other people elected for student government so we have a caucus and can actually do things, and uh, doing activism like uh, challenging the socialists to a canned food drive and raising hundreds of dollars in canned food and getting on Fox News, and next thing you know... Uh, a campus next door is doing the same thing because they right. saw we did it. So you snow, your your efforts will snowball. Is what I'm getting at. Right, and I mean that, and that's, I mean that's a great point, especially the the uh, the point you said about you know all government's local and you can make things yeah. there, because when you start learning how to do that on campus and you're running for the student governments and you're winning there and you're making change on campus, then you know how to do it in the city section. And then Bingo. from exactly. you can learn how to do it at the state section, state, you can learn how to do it at the national. And then you've, based on what you've done, what the groundwork that you laid in college, 
just trying to make a difference there is now allowing you to affect stuff nationally on the federal level. Mm-hmm. And that is, I mean, for a lot of the people that are doing these things, that's the end goal. So it's great to get the training that you that you need while actually making a difference that people will remember. Mm-hmm. I see that a lot in uh, like political science students, uh, for example, in, in my own college at school. Is they, they're there and they go, oh, I want to go to D.C. I want to go off and, and, uh, and save the world. And I said, you're not going to do shit in D.C. You're going to show up and you're going to get whatever, some, some like low-level position as a press aide or legislative aide or receptionist of a think tank, and you're going to get bored and discouraged and realize that you jumped into a fishbowl you have no idea how to swim in, and uh, you're going to get disenfranchised and you're going to go home, uh, or you're just going to you're going to become ineffective there and you're not going to do anything that you showed up to do, yeah. and you're going to get really uh, you're going to get really down on yourself. But if you start local and you work your way up and, and you really cut your teeth in it and train, like you said. Uh, you know, running for student government seems dumb, and when you only have, I have like 2,000 constituents, I think I won my first election, it was like 100 votes, but you learn, you learn there, you learn how to talk to people and lobby and build coalitions and write legislation and speak on the floor and, and do Robert's rules and be a parliamentarian and all those stuff that makes you more effective down the road, and it's so much easier when you're around a bunch of other awkward college kids and the policy really doesn't matter too much, and uh, when I go in and have to have that hard meeting with... Uh, with like uh, an administrator, it's not it's not like my city councilman or it's not like a legislator at the state level where I can have that meeting and, and kind of get be more comfortable having having a tough discussion with somebody because it doesn't have as much weight. And uh, at the end of the day, it's it is still just university, but um, that that is a really valuable experience. I mean, I can't tell you how much I've learned in the past two years being involved with student activism, student government. Uh, just in general, I mean, it's, it's hugely valuable, and I feel like uh, I'm a lot more effective now than I could have ever possibly been just cruising through school to get my degree and then going off to D.C. to, I don't know, whatever awful job I would have picked up there. So. Yeah, I, um, I was talking with uh, Caleb Franz, who's another Ohio, uh, Ohioan, Ohio, yeah. yeah, whatever you call you people. Buckeyes. <laughs> he's, a Buckeye. uh, he's he's in Youngstown now, which I apparently that's where they have the big Nerf tournament. So <laughs> I'll let him know. <laughs> I, I was like, well, I'm, I know I'm talking to him later tonight or tomorrow. I'm gonna give him, I'm gonna let him know yeah. about that. I should. I know he's not in school anymore, but I should send him to Youngstown State. I can't get my chapter off the ground. There. <laughs> I'm a mental trade. <laughs> yeah, he, I don't know if he ever graduated, so he could just go enroll to get the chapter started, and then, <laughs> and then uh, he can leave. Um, Perfect. Yeah, but uh, let me. I'm, thank you so much for coming on. I do appreciate it. You, you're truly an inspiration to anybody in the liberty movement. And I, I appreciate that, man. I, I, I really do. I, uh, I want to make. I, I don't do it to be a figure to like to be inspirational. I just, I think it's just a result of a lot of hard work and, uh, trying to be as effective as possible. So I, I encourage other people to try to, to do the same and you keep your, you can't Jordan Peterson quote, you know, you can't, you can't change the, uh, you can't change the world, but you can be your best self, you know? Right. And, uh, that's, that's all I was trying to do was, was do my job here in my activism and being at Kent State and be the best at it that I could be to be effective. And it just kind of snowballed and, ended up doing a lot of really good stuff, and uh, I hope people can take some lessons for that. And, I mean, 
real quick on Jordan Peterson. Uh, my parents tried my entire young life to get me to make my bed. <laughs> Jordan Peterson did that in one speech. <laughs> my bed is made every morning now. I saw I saw a goofy uh, I saw a goofy meme or something, and it was like it was like the kid reading Jordan Peterson, and or the the one frame is he it's uh, he's yelling at his parents like quit telling me what to do, mom and dad. And the next one they're like thanks Jordan Peterson for telling me to make my bed and clean my room. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true for whatever reason that guy's just super inspirational to kind of disenfranchised and lost young men so okay. he's a great intellectual leader he's, he's teaching a lot of uh, guys that didn't have adequate parenting uh, to be good men so thank god that guy's around we needed him yeah, no, he's, he's doing amazing work and <laughs> yeah yeah he's a great leader for us so i appreciate his his work and his intellectualism is fantastic yeah i, I, I wish i could afford to go see him speak whenever he's in town <laughs> I wish I could afford to bring him on campus. I mean, that would be amazing. I, I actually, we're looking at a speaker for the spring, and we brought Austin Peterson last uh, semester. I would love to bring Jordan Peterson. I don't know how much he is. Like, every time I ask for... Peterson's, don't you? Huh? Jordan Peterson, Austin Peterson. I know that's <laughs> differently, but... It, it must be a trend. I don't. I don't think I know any other Petersons, but it uh, must, must just be a, a weird uh, niche thing that I like, but... Uh, bringing speakers on campus is a great a great thing, but a lot of times people expect you to bring the Ben Shapiro's and the Stephen Crowder's and uh, fill in the blank whoever their intellectual thought leader is. And right. I mean that's a that's a, a six figure endeavor uh, to bring those guys. So a lot of the times it just uh, it just doesn't work out. But uh, maybe I, I'll have to look into it. I know Jordan Peterson's been selling out like mega domes this year, so <laughs> I doubt he's in my budget. <laughs> he he did a I think he's got something going on in St. Pete coming up soon. Yeah. And uh, I think the tickets are like... They're like 70 bucks or something yeah, like I, that. Was he was in Virginia when I was there, and I don't know how much they were, but I, I know I couldn't go for whatever reason. I had something going on that weekend, but I looked into the tickets, and they were pretty expensive. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like if where he's doing it uh, is, I think it's at the Mahaffey Theater, which is kind of like an orchestra theater thing, so it's not like a stadium or by any means. So it's like... On the floor level, they're like two fifty. If you want the balcony, it's seventy because it only holds like three, four thousand people. So, mm -hmm. it, it, I mean, just just the thought of a of a psychologist and uh, in in just like an intellectual filling a three to five thousand person venue is insane. Like that is just mind blowing. Canadian psychologist who talks like a muppet that <laughs> is able to fill these events and. I, when I first heard about this guy, I was like, okay, whatever. And then I started listening to him, and I was just like, he's got the weirdest voice I've ever heard. But, man, he's got great points. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm actually kind of scared. So I'm a – God, I hope this doesn't bite me in the ass later. But I'm, I'm non-religious. I consider myself an uh, atheist. But I'm not uh, militantly anti-religious. So I'm definitely open to it. I've just never been convinced. So I'm kind of just, like, waiting. And uh, I've heard that Jordan Peterson's uh, – series on Christianity. He's got like a multi-part series on his YouTube channel about Christianity. I guess it's converted a lot of people, so I'm kind of terrified to listen to it because I feel like it might, uh, it might Christian pill me. <laughs> right, yeah, I, uh, I also am, uh, I guess deist would be the way to put it. Like, Yeah, that's probably more accurate. I hate using, I hate using atheists because most of them are like super hard left, like I would burn down every church and kill every Christian kind of atheist, which I am not that way at all. Of religion. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm non-religious. I'm.
Hang on, apparently we lost Apparently we lost Kevin. Master Matt. Oh, there we go. Okay, we're back. Okay. I don't have any video on you, but okay. I can see you now. It just popped back up, so. Um, yeah, I don't have video on you, but whatever. Not a biggie. Okay, well, I mean, as long as you can hear me, that's the main thing. Right. Um, but yeah, so. Oh, God. Yeah, so I'm like, I'm a deist, and it's like, I, I do believe that there could be something out there. I just don't know for certain. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to. I don't want to say that there is no God because I don't want to be wrong. But at the, same, <laughs> at the same time, I'm like, I don't really know which one I believe in. And I kind of like having that freedom. And I'd be afraid that Jordan Peterson would be able to get me. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm really, I'm actually kind of terrified about it. But I've always been open to the idea. And I've actually, even at times, felt like a, a there's a, you know, people talk about spiritual health too. And I feel like I do have a bit of a calling that I could probably use some spiritual help in my life. Uh, but I've never found a convincing messenger for it. So I think uh, since I'm already open to uh, Jordan Peterson's style of messaging and stuff like that, I think he'd probably be a good gateway drug for me if I wanted to go down that rabbit hole. I don't know if I'm ready yet, but um, I'm, like I said, I'm not anti-religious. And I wouldn't, I would say... All the evidence I can tell is no God, but I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not saying that it's not possible. I just haven't heard a good convincing argument yet. I'm always open. Like I'll tell people, I'm like I, I'm like one good argument away from being like a, a, a full socialist. So, you just got to get one convincing guy show up and really sell it for me. And I'm like, hey, I mean, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I mean, it's true. It, it, it is true. Like if you can get one person that comes at me with any argument that's not you're going to go to hell or the Bible says. Right. Yeah. And you can actually get me. I'll probably switch yeah. right then. Yeah. Well, he did get me on the... Uh, one thing that he has sold me on is uh, being individually virtuous. So uh, probably when I came in as a libertarian, I was probably more uh, libertine, uh, just kind of like, I guess, all right, would call it uh, degenerate now. But uh, <laughs> I was just, uh, you know, I was just like, oh, liberty for the sake of liberty. But really, I mean, it's not about rights. It's about responsibilities. It's about being virtuous. And I, I like to say I'm a young American for personal responsibility. I could, I mean, liberty is important too, but if you don't face the consequences of your actions, it, it's all for not. It doesn't matter. Because uh, most, most people, most people my age, millennials, would con- I would consider them libertarian in, in uh, practice. Most of them are live and let live. They want to do their own thing and be left alone. But they don't want to deal with the consequences. Man, they hate responsibility. It's the so, responsibility where everything falls that's apart. Where, yeah, it's where it falls apart. Yeah, so that's, uh, I think we're good on the liberty. Everybody's really good at doing their own thing and leaving each other alone for the most part. I mean, we're, uh, we're the only generation for sure is... Uh, we just kind of do our own stuff and deal transactionally and uh, nobody bothers anybody and uh, not a lot of judgment anymore these days. But, uh, yeah, people don't want to pay for their shit. <laughs> that's a problem. we got to figure that out. <laughs> I was ta- God, who was I talking to? I was talking to somebody recently and they, they were very libertarian up until they said, but I think healthcare and education should be free. Right. I hear that all the time, and it's like, I come at them with the liberty message, and obviously I start out really slow, and I'm introducing some random college kid to what is libertarianism, and I got him on civil liberties, I got him on rights, and, and all this other stuff, free choice, and they want to do all this good stuff, but as soon as we start talking about 
well, the government's got to be small and taxes got to be low and there can't be any services. And then they're thinking, well, who's going to pay for my college? Right. Well, you are. You are. Who's going to pay for your health care? Well, you are. you are. And then it's all after that. It's no, it's no go. And they're not about it. So we, we are a very libertarian socialist uh, generation, but we're not libertarians quite yet. So that's, a, that's an area we got to figure out. Right, and that's a that's actually that that's been the biggest issue that I've had to hurdle. And it doesn't matter that I can say if you give free education away, everybody gets the education, which basically makes the college degree meaningless. And then you're going to have to go for masters or doctorates in order to get like the low level jobs. Like they don't care about that. They're like, well, no, education should be free so everybody can get better jobs. And I'm like, that's not you don't you're going to have an influx of no, okay. Yeah. Well, it's the same, like, I was doing some petitioning for uh, a ballot initiative, and I was talking about cutting legislator pay in Michigan, and uh, I went up to this kid, and I'm talking to him, and I, and I said, yeah, we want to cut the pay of the legislator, and, and it's going to save the state $10 million a year, and all this good stuff, and uh, he goes, well, why would we want to take money out of the economy? And I'm like... Uh, that's not how it works, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> you can't just dump money into the economy. I think you're confused. Like it's already there. They just stole it, then gave it back, and I'm like, yeah, you're lost. We're not gonna talk anymore. <laughs> we're, in the, we're in the weeds of inflation. <laughs> that made my brain hurt so bad. Yeah, but no, it makes. I, I, it's it's hard to argue against that logic. Not because it makes any sense, but because it's so simple. Dumb people believe it. Right. And uh, when it comes to that, healthcare should be free. It's not. A logical stance. There's no good policy behind it. It's it's a feeling. It's I'm sick and I need to be taken care of and I can't afford it. That's all that it stops. That's where it stops. There's no there's no how how is this going to get paid for? There's no oh this affects supply and demand and incentives because when you get into the weeds on that, then you, you beat them every time. But people don't vote like that. They don't think about policy like that. They think what sounds right, what feels right. Yeah, that's it's that's a that's a hurdle, and uh, unfortunately, the the apathetic and uninformed voter is not always going to understand the, the good economic arguments for the things we're talking about. You know, it's the it's the I before E theory of intelligence yeah. before emotion, but most people vote E before I. Yeah, of course, yeah, and uh, it, it's funny. I, I can't remember. I was doing some messaging class. We were talking about marketing or something, and and. Uh, the same part of your brain that's triggered by logical arguments is triggered by emotional arguments. I mean, most people, libertarians would probably be the exception, and I think it's because we lack empathy for a lot of things. Um, so we, we, our brains are wired a little bit differently, but um, people, like, their logic center is triggered by the same thing as their emotion center, so there's really no difference in that feeling for them. Huh, that's, I, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of scary to think about because it's like all of, we always want to come at these arguments logically. Where, you know, here I'm going to lay out the, the argument points, and this is why I'm right, and this is why you're wrong, and here you go, figure it out. And they're like, okay, that all makes sense. And they're like, but healthcare should be free <laughs> because I feel it. And they're like, well, shoot, you know, I can't do any more than give you the points. Right. So. I, 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 can't cha- I can't change that even a little bit. Yeah, it's in their heart, man. It's uh, it's hearts and minds, and we can do the minds, but we gotta change hearts too. And that's uh, it's a tough, it's a tough battle. It, it, it is because essentially what you're trying to you're trying to reprogram them to realize that we we aren't trying to hurt people. We're actually trying to help them just without the federal government. 
And yeah. They've been so ingrained in knowing that the federal government is the only way that these people can get help that they're just like, well, you're, you'd be hurting these people by doing this. And it's like, no, we're going to make them more self-sufficient and make them more successful and make them, you know, just more, just better in every yeah. conceivable way without the help of federal government and literally taking more money out of your pocket. Yeah, it's, uh, I think that's important that we, we try to tackle our positions with a sense of empathy. It's, I, I mean, I get this all the time from my, my socialist colleagues at uh, um, student government is, is they're like, oh, you're just the, the evil corporatist, you know, business loving, you know, as well, we can have small government as long as, uh, as long as we can have corporate tyranny. And that's what they think about my ideology. They think capitalism is, is corporate tyranny. And, uh, and it's so hard to explain in a, in a short and concise way that makes sense. And that isn't too, too uh, policy wonky. That uh, that capitalism is better for people. I mean, they're just they are richer and happier and fatter and they live longer and all those things. I mean, it it's all the empirical evidence says that if we give people free exchange, free enterprise, don't even call it capitalism because that's all wrapped up in banks and crap that people hate. It, you just if you give people free enterprise, they make better choices in their lives. And they become more successful, and everybody becomes wealthier. And it's the same reason John Stossel said it best at Yalcon. He said, there's a reason when you hand the cashier money, they say thank you. And then when they hand you a good, you say thank you. Because it's a mutually beneficial exchange. In government exchange, that doesn't exist. There's there, One of those parties, well, neither of the parties say thank you. Because government doesn't care that you handed them money. They just think they deserve it. And uh, you feel like you just got bent over a barrel. So... <laughs> It's uh, it's not uh, you know, it, it, free enterprise is the most beautiful thing that uh, that humanity has ever ever figured out. And if we lose that, man, that's a travesty. That's going to put us back in the dark ages Easily. for for centuries. And with what I've always told people, because the to the people who are kind of on the fence uh, that I argue that I argue with, and they're like, oh well. Uh, socialism they'll be like socialism leads to communism but capitalism leads to fascism and i'm like well no that's not no that's not accurate at all and they're like why not and i said how many people do you know that have been shot trying to leave a capitalist country and yeah and they go oh none I'm like right because we don't care if you leave just go yeah yeah it's uh it's it- I think that's the, the big messaging hurdle we have is, is just, especially against the left, not our own messaging. I mean, we have a lot of hurdles there, but against leftist messaging is people still fundamentally believe that, that the, the liberal message, that the socialist message is, is inherently more kind and that it's, it's better for poor people, that you know, the, the left just takes care of poor people. And people think that the right wing or, or capitalism and free enterprise and stuff is inherently bad for people because it creates a meritocracy and it puts some people on the bottom. And it, they just don't see that rising tides rise, raise all ships, you know? Yeah. The, the poorest people are still vastly richer under capitalism. And that's just, it's so hard to, I don't know where that disconnect is, is they just don't realize how, how rich our poorest people really are. Really are. Yeah, the... And as, you know, people are like, oh, it just makes the rich richer. And yeah, it does. But, you know, I think Ben Shapiro was the one that I saw do this where he, he was like, yeah, the rich go up like this, but the poor are also going up at the same yeah. rate. Yeah. Um, but the poor are also going up at the same rate. It's just it, 
they're still yeah. They're still oh, they just, I mean, catching, they're not catching up, but yeah. they are gaining wealth. Yeah. Well, when when their entire their entire ideology on the left, from liberal to to full communist, is all based on equality. So having a hierarchy where you have a line of people that are here and a lot of people here, and they're both rising, is still bad because they want them here and rising. Right. So no matter what, it always it's the the tale of two cities is oh the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. It's like no, they're just they're just in their spot in society because. People are going to be down here, and people are going to be in the middle. You have that nice big middle class, which is, it should be big. And then you have a big rich class, and there should be uh, mobility. There should be economic mobility. I mean, that's actually my favorite, my favorite thing in, in capitalist systems is, uh, is unlike systems in previous human existence where uh, people were stagnated in their class, where you had... You had wealthy class, and really it was more royalty, really. It was an aristocracy class. Where you were born royal, and you will be royal your entire life, and then you will die that way, and your kids will be born royal and wealthy, and they, they will be that way their entire life, and they will die that way. And if you're poor, you're born poor, you'll die poor. Your kids will be born poor and die poor. We don't have that in America. I mean, a great example is here in, uh, in Akron. The good, the good year Akron's the, the uh, tire, was the uh, rubber and tire capital of the world. And there was a family who owned Goodyear called the Cyberlings. And the Cyberling kids now, uh, I mean, their grandparents owned Goodyear. Like, owned it. They're just middle-class people. They go to the public Akron schools now. Like, they did a, a profile on them in the newspaper, like, a couple years ago. And they, like, the mom's a nurse and dad's, like, a firefighter or something. They are not multimillionaires. And their family, two generations ago, owned the largest rubber company in the entire world. That's, a, that's actually really crazy to think about. Yeah, I mean, our, our, our economic and social mobility is incredible in this country. It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, just for two generations to go from yeah. what, what today would be, like, probably the Jeff Bezos of the world, and now is the family is just, you know, mm -hmm. on par with the majority of America. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, that ability to make our own uh, choices and, and our own successes and failures is just huge. I mean, and... I mean, it's really interesting. You'll see families that'll have like a real rich grandparent or parent or something, and their kids will just be like average middle class people, and it's just because they made different choices. And I mean, the wealth doesn't equal happiness, obviously. And I think that that's lost on a, a lot of the economic arguments we make too. Is is because people are wealthier, are they happier? Just because they're more successful um, economically, are they more successfully personally? I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of like exponential social questions that uh, that I don't think our economic models that we all love so much really answer. I mean, there's there's no there's no way that an economic model can come up with every single scenario. Yeah. I think there is a, there's a free market of a lot of things people don't realize. I was I made a joke. I did post on Facebook that went pretty pretty good a couple months ago, and I said for libertarians being able to understand. Uh, all the in and outs of free markets and supply and demand, we can't seem to figure out the free market of social interaction with women. And uh, <laughs> it's totally true. I don't know why. I'm like, if, if, you know why, uh, if you know why somebody won't buy a product, but they won't date you, why a woman won't date you, you should be able to crunch the numbers on that. <laughs> That's like almost every libertarian I know, too. Uh, uh. Yeah, but there's there's a there's a social free market too. I think uh, I think if people uh, if uh, libertarians would uh, kind of evaluate their social interactions in a more free market way, they might be a little more successful. Right. Uh, well, 
Thank you so much. I do appreciate it. Uh, do you have yeah, anything that's great getting on there. Uh, do you uh, have anything you want to plug, pitch, anything? Uh, yeah, so uh, obviously my uh, my views are my own, but I do work for Young Americans for Liberty as a state chair for Ohio. Um, I mean, Matt Delessi was on here last week, but we're doing really great stuff with Win at the Door and uh, all the good stuff. If you want to support a libertarian organization, whether it be on campus or as a donor or just come out and give them, give them your blessings and support and speak good words about them, Young Americans for Liberty is doing amazing things. It's probably the only organization in the United States that's actually mobilizing libertarians and making them effective activists and deploying them to change politics at the ground level. It uh, made me the, the activist and the leader I am today. So they deserve uh, 100% of your support in everything that they do. Yeah, it's a great organization. I mean, they're, they're, they're really taking charge on the future. It's good they, stuff. Yeah, they really, they're, doing, they're doing just fantastic work. Um, just amazing work. Uh, yeah, my, my last three people on, it's been uh, Matt D'Alessio, Rimzo Martinez, and you, everybody who's working for Young Americans for Liberty. Um, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a great org. It's, it's hard to not get uh, roped into their, their uh, strategy and their messaging because they just do it best. They do. They do, they do a great job. Well, uh, hang out for a minute afterwards. Uh, I'm going to do the closing, and then uh, we can chat a little bit longer. And uh, then, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I do appreciate it. Uh, everybody else, remember, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash muddied waters of freedom. You can follow us on Instagram at muddied waters of freedom. You can follow us on Twitter at muddied underscore waters. And you can find this in every episode at muddiedwatersoffreedom.com you can also like this show in particular at facebook.com backslash sorry forward slash the writer's block um thank you all so much now get back to writing because writing is how we can essentially make the biggest difference thank you all so much please like this show. i am swinging from a seven story window throwing parties in a 10 by 7 cell it's astounding the legs I'll go To convince the whole damn world I don't need anybody's help Yeah, I am waving while I drown Don't bother swimming out to save me I will only drag you down I'll try to use your body as a life raft Cause if there's room enough for one There must be room enough for two I'll sail the good ship you into the sunset Sipping on savory water till my liver turns blue